0: Have you guys talked about acute coronary syndrome in, in the other class yet? Yes, okay, so we'll briefly just kind of go through a review of, the, of acute coronary syndrome. This is, so it's, a, it's basically coronary artery disease. Um, and they come in with chest pain or what we call an angina equivalent. In other words, you know, not all patients are going to com- describe it as chest pain or chest pressure. You may get these older patients, women, um, diabetics that have atypical symptoms like just shortness of breath. I had a guy one time, I don't know if I told you the story or not, just basically came in just feeling like like uh, weak and tired and didn't feel well and did an, ST, uh, did an EKG on him and he had ST elevation and the guy ended up going to the cath lab. So it's not always chest pain. Um, there are other symptoms out there that make you think acute coronary syndrome, heart problems, and, and needs to get reasons to get an EKG. So acute coronary syndrome can be basically broken down into three different categories. You have what's called the ST elevation MI, where there's obvious ST changes on the EKG. You have the non-ST segment elevation MI, where there's not obvious EKG changes, but you order the, the, the um, cardiac biomarkers and your troponin comes back positive. Unstable angina. Sounds like somebody has got heart problems. The EKG is not showing any definite issues. The troponin comes back negative, but this is, you you still suspect this is angina. Uh, It's still um, the heart causing the problems and had a lady like that last night. I just put in the hospital. Everything came back looking okay. But she was, uh, I think she was 37, hypertension, diabetic, and history of renal failure, and she came in complaining of... um, chest tightness with nausea and diaphoresis and all these other things and everything looked okay but I really didn't want to send her home so it's very possible she had what we call unstable angina. So STEMI is a true medical emergency and we'll talk about how to to detect that today. All right. so this is basically telling you about acute coronary syndrome again the difference between the three three categories STEMI have ST elevation changes on the on the EKG with a positive troponin in um, the non-STEMI, absence of the ST elevation with positive biomarkers and unstable angina. Absence of both, but sus- suspicious, okay. Um, I can remember when I first got into cardiology, we had four different um, four different biomarkers that we used. It was a CPK, uh, CKMB, myoglobin, and troponin. And really, any more troponin is really all you need. We still order myoglobin. I don't know why, but... Troponin is really the biggie when it comes to detecting myocardial infarction. It's the most specific. There are other things out there that will cause uh, troponin to be elevated um, like renal failure and a few other things that you know may, may make it go up when it's not an MI, but but it is the most specific and, and really the main one we use anymore. <clears throat> so there's the four best predictors of somebody that has acute coronary syndrome, complaining of chest pain, like I mentioned with that lady, uh, nausea, vomiting, diaphoresis, the pain radiates. So her pain was not just in her chest, it radiated to her right arm. It really doesn't matter if it's the right arm or left arm or both. Radiation of the pain, whether it be to the jaw or wherever, is a concerning concerning symptom. Uh, pain that gets worse with exertion. Obviously, if the patient has um, higher oxygen demand, higher, higher metabolic demand of the heart, they ex- when they exert themselves and they're getting poor oxygen supply already because of coronary artery disease, then their pain should get worse with exertion. So that's another thing that kind of clues you into that doesn't sound good, okay. Other things to consider would be shortness of breath. They describe it as a heaviness or squeezing and it's not reproducible. If you can reproduce the chest pain by pushing on it, they go, yeah that's exactly what it's been feeling like. Less likely it's, it's the heart, but if you can't reproduce it in some way the potential goes up for it to be acute coronary syndrome. So things to keep in mind. These are all things you would want to or an EK, potentially order an EKG for, right? So according to the American Heart Association and American College of Cardiology 2014, they came up with these guidelines. So somebody comes into our emergency room with a complaint of chest pain, we've got somebody with an EKG machine ready to roll into the room immediately behind them. That's because the guidelines tell us that we need to have an EKG within 10 minutes of their arrival. So we make sure that we're right there at the door ready to go. Um, if you've got an EKG that doesn't look diagnostic, there's no obvious ST changes, but the patient looks symptomatic, you're still really concerned that something bad's going on, don't hesitate to order another EKG 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes down the road to look for those dynamic changes that are that are potentially going to occur. And then again, serial cardiac troponin, we order those uh, on the initial lab, but they don't they don't elevate immediately, right? Have you guys talked about about that? Okay. So the troponin is not going to elevate immediately, so just because um, there's no obvious EKG changes and I've got a negative troponin uh, initially, if their pain only started 30 minutes before they got there, don't feel comfortable sending those patients home because it's possibly still had an MI, the troponin hadn't had time to elevate yet. So uh, repeat that in three to six hours. If it's still negative, potentially you could send them home from the emergency room. Otherwise, send them upstairs like I did last night. Let them continue to do what we call rule out. And get the troponins upstairs, make sure everything still looks okay. Potentially I could order a stress test or something else to to look into it. So other tests that we would um, consider ordering when we have somebody with acute coronary syndrome would be, um, uh, you know, we've got our cardiac biomarkers, but an echocardiogram. It was also this week that um, Dr. Garabian, one of the physicians I work with, maybe it was Dr., it doesn't matter. One of the physicians I was working with had a patient that um, was complaining of chest pain. They went in and did the EKG, and at the top, this is why you should never read what's at the top, it said uh, acute STEMI, okay? So there's a a surgical nurse who works at our hospital inside the room who read that and decided to call one of the cardiologists herself and tell him that her father-in-law or whoever was having an MI and needed to go straight to the cath lab. So, our, our doc in the yard ER gets a phone call from him, hey, where's your STEMI at? I don't have a STEMI. What are you talking about? Because it wasn't. It was, it was a normal EKG with just the stuff at the top saying so. So, it ended up being that he convinced, um, well, they went ahead and ordered an echocardiogram just to make everybody happy. And what they're looking for on the echocardiogram is what we call wall motion abnormality. If the patient's in the middle of having a myocardial infarction, then the myocardium is not going to move normally. Instead of a nice contraction, there'll be a portion of the heart that's just suffering, and you may only see like one side moving and the other side kind of dysfunctional, okay? So an echocardiogram may be one other way in which you can look and see if somebody has, um, you know, wall motion abnormality that's consistent with a myocardial infarction. If you're thinking pericarditis, you might can see a pericardial effusion, different things. So an echocardiogram may be one way to kind of help sort that out. Uh, chest X-ray to make sure you're not missing something in the lung that may be causing chest pain, and CTA of a chest. I ordered one of those last night on a guy that was complaining of chest pain, um, and to look for, you're looking for a pulmonary embolism as a potential cause. <clears throat> so a quick review on your anatomy and physiology. Um, if you remember, there's there's the, the epicardium is the outer layer of the heart. The inner layers we call the endocardium. You've got Three main branches, or three main uh, coronary arteries, that supply the nutrients to the heart. Right. We've got the left main, which I still call the widowmaker. Okay. <laughs> Although there is evidence out there that people call the LAD the widowmaker, I still think it's much worse. Okay. Anyway, we'll get to that. So the the left main breaks off into the LAD, which gives the the anterior portion of the heart uh, the blood supply. And then the, the left circumflex also branches off the left main and kind of curves around the posterior portion of the heart, the lateral and posterior portion of the heart. You've got the right coronary artery coming down that feeds the, the right side or really the inferior. So when we talk about um, the blood supply to the left ventricle, which is most, the most likely involved, the, the right coronary artery supplies the inferior portion of the heart. So when we think about our inferior leads, 2-3 AVF, it's most likely the right coronary artery. These are not 100%, but probably 80% of the time in a, in, a, in the inferior MI, it's the right coronary artery. The circumflex, we think lateral, your lateral leads, V5, um, V6, 1, and AVL, and your LAD, we think mainly those anterior leads, V1 through V4, okay? Typically, now there's some overlap, there's some, you know, some, some variation in that, but that's kind of the, the general way of thinking about it, okay? <coughs> So ischemia, just literally holding back blood, there's not enough blood supply, there's not death of the tissue, but um, but it, it can certainly cause um, warning signs. Like I always tell patients, I can't tell you, you know, this is not your heart, could be a warning flare kind of going off to say, hey, pay, pay more attention, even though there's not death of the, of the tissue. Infarction is where there is death of the tissue, and we won't get into this too much, but... If you, you know, these patients may only have minimal amount of plaque, sometimes only 30-40 percent, something that when, if they were to go to the cath lab nobody would think too much about, but that plaque ruptures and you begin the clotting cascade and now you've got a thrombus in the artery and the patient goes from doing just fine to having the big one, okay. So um, and that's where they have the myocardial infarction. Myocardi- myocardial infarction is bad because it gets the, the, the myocardium um, hypoxic irritable and you end up with arrhythmias like ventricular tachycardia, ventricular fibrillation. That's why these patients oftentimes spend a a day or two in the ICU on a monitor to make sure they're not going to have deadly arrhythmias that come as a result of the MI. So STEMI, basically it's a syndrome defined by um, characteristic symptoms, chest pain, chest pressure, radiates, nausea, vomiting, diaphoresis, um, shortness of breath, And then we get these EKG changes with the ST elevation and the subsequent biomarkers, the troponin specifically that's elevated that says, yeah, this guy definitely had a STEMI, okay? right, so we'll slow down. That's all the kind of stuff, just to uh, kind of build a base. So how do we know somebody's got a STEMI? Well, the very earliest things we're going to see on the EKG are in the ST segment. And that's ST segment elevation. And oftentimes, but not always, a reciprocal ST depression somewhere else you know, on the EKG, okay? These ST elevations will stick around sometimes for several hours, several days, and then after a period of time you'll start to see Q waves develop. And that's why sometimes you'll see an EKG where it has Q waves and it'll say possible, possible old MI or possible old myocardial infarction. It's looking at those Q waves. Q waves develop sometimes hours or days afterwards and you'll see those and they can stick around for For months or years before they may disappear or may not. Then the ST segments that were elevated work their way back down to normal and the T waves begin to flip upside down and you'll get T wave inversions or even just T wave flattening. So ST segment elevation followed by Q wave development and resolution of the ST segment elevation followed by T wave inversion. So here's basically uh, a pattern you may see. So somebody comes in looking pretty normal, they got ST elevation, start developing the Q waves as the ST segments begin to come down. Uh, Q waves continue as the, as the ST segment resolves, you get the flipping of the T waves here, and then I guess eventually you can just keep the Q wave and your T wave can flip back upright. This, o- this may be over uh, weeks or months that we're talking about up here, okay? So again, in a STEMI, earliest changes, you'll see this again, I promise, earliest changes are seen in the ST segment on the EKG. And again, you'll get that acute phase. Sometimes you'll have a tall peak T wave that will, that will precede the ST segment elevation. So if you've got tall peak T waves on the EKG, other than hyperkalemia, which we'll talk about next week, you can think potential myocardial infarction, on you know, as early, early uh, in the acute phase. As things evolve, again, the ST segment will go from isoelectric and elevate, and, um, and you'll get um, this. So it's opposite, and sometimes, sometimes when you get like this, there's other morphologies, but think of the smiley face, the benign or the repo. We don't get upset about that. We smile. This has the frowny face, okay? This, this goes upside down. We're not happy about that. That's bad news. So if you see an ST morphology that looks like that, that's bad. That's, that's myocardial infarction. And this is, man, this must be important. It's like three slides in a row on this. ST segment elevation is the earliest change you'll see. And there you go. All right. So some of the criteria. We can't have ST elevation in just one lead and call it a a myocardial infarction. It needs to be in two contiguous leads. And when we talk about contiguous leads, you need to go back and think about the hexaxial diagram, right? So um, think about where 2, 3, and AVF are. So it would be 2, AVF, and three, you got one and AVL that sit beside each other. Then you think about your precordial leads, V1 through V6. It needs to be V1 and 2 or 2 and 3, something that's connected to each other, okay? They have to be contiguous leads. And what we're looking for is something greater than or equal to one millimeter of ST elevation in those two contiguous leads. Unless it's in uh, V2 and V3 alone, and we need two millimeters or more in those leads. Consider that significant. The other thing we want to look for is what's called reciprocity, where we have T-wave, I'm sorry, S t wave i am sorry saint segment depression and reciprocal leads, okay? And I'll show you that here. If you have that, it certainly increases the likelihood that it's a myocardial infarction. So, in this patient, the blue lines here show you where the ST elevation is at. Mainly our inferior leads, right? You see that significant ST elevation there? And how it has that check mark appearance that we just mentioned a little bit ago? It jumps right off the R wave and straight up. Okay, So we've got ST elevation in our inferior leads, and if you look, we have reciprocal depression, ST depression, in, our, uh, in some of our anterior leads and lateral leads over here. Okay. AVR really doesn't matter, but uh, I wouldn't pay attention to that one. Okay. AVR and V1, when it comes to ST depression as a reciprocal change, It's not something we consider. So I wouldn't look at these two leads. You want to see if you have reciprocal depression. In the other leads, it's obvious that it's in the anterior and lateral leads we have ST depression. Everybody see that okay? Okay. So again, not always present in an MI. So just because you don't have reciprocal ST depression doesn't mean, ah, it's not a myocardial infarction. But if you've got it, man, that's money, okay? That's money in the bank, and you're not, not really hesitating too much on that one. So here's an inferior mi inferior because we're talking about our inferior leads right 2 3 and AVF so we look at 2 3 and AVF these are all contiguous leads we see the ST elevation Uh, is it greater than one millimeter in those leads and yes it is most definitely down here it is so do we have reciprocal depression and we do we have reciprocal depression AVL 1 v2 v3 pretty much there okay Patients actually develop Q-waves already. See the Q-waves there in lead 2, 3, and AVF, okay? Potentially an old MI over here, too. They've got some Q-waves in these lateral leads. So inferior MI, what coronary artery do we think about, remember? Quick quiz, it's the right coronary artery about 80% of the time. This just shows inferior T wave inversion. So as that MI progressed, um, you would start flipping T waves. If you see them really deep like this, and we'll get more into that uh, at the second half of the lecture, but deep T wave, T wave inversions like that, greater than a millimeter in depth. Um, could be ischemic change, could also be um, an old MI. Okay, so we see that, um, you th- I would think uh, ischemia or an infarction, <clears throat> old infarction. So here's a Q, here's a Q wave. Um, so you can see that the Q-waves have developed here in the inferior leads. The ST segments have, have since returned back to the baseline. So we have no idea how old this MI is. It could have happened yesterday. It could have happened three months ago, six months ago. But at some point in the past, this patient's had an MI, an inferior MI. All right, so ST morphologies, that look like uh, that we would see in an MI. Unfortunately, a concave morphology can also be considered an MI. If you remember, concave is the same name we gave to our benign early repolarization. So you can't throw that one out uh, immediately just because of based on the on the morphology. But so you have to look for those other things that we've talked about. But uh, convex, obliquely straight, and the checkmark sign, these are all things you can see with an MI. This one is defi- definitely concerning. Um, and this one here is obviously definitely concerning as well okay so some of these you know, jump right out at you is as, as bad that one you know that almost looks like it could be Sorry, that's okay are you okay over there yeah Oh, okay It's like she's in the floor throwing up or what's going on okay she's passed out all right to practice acls right away okay so th- this one looks like it could have been, uh, you know, left ventricular hypertrophy if you looked at other leads, I mean, it has that, the morphology there, it could have even been benign early repole by itself, this one does not make me get too nervous, but the ST morphology, like the guy we had last night, looked most like this, except, you know, the ST elevation wasn't maybe that significant, it was even a little bit more closer to the baseline, but he had that, it just jumped off at, in such a way that it was like, catch your attention, and it was in three contiguous leads, and you're thinking, eh, I don't know, so, in those situations it's not always black and white Again, serial EKGs repeating them following them for the dynamic changes if was having a STEMI those ST segments are pro- more than likely going to continue to rise and go up and we would or we see some reciprocal changes so it's not always obvious Just based on the morphology get more information repeat the EKG um, those things are, are, are okay to do and it's okay to call the cardiologists and get them to you know take a look at the EKG or or whatever um, you know it's okay if they go to the cath lab and didn't need to, better than them not going to the cath lab and haven't needed to. Okay. Other things that help um, suggest a STEMI, it, the disproportionate T wave in size to the comparison of the QRS. As you can see up here, this T wave is just as big as the QRS complex is. When you see something like that, especially with the ST segment morphology where it just kind of jumps off, um, that's concerning. And that's more like what it looked like last night, you know, just kind of that, like that. Um, <clears throat> Straightening of the initial portion of the T wave again just we talked about just this initial portion being straight Reciprocal ST depression any leads again ignore AVR and V1 even though I underlined AVR and that other lead or that picture Just forget about it. Okay, so AVR and V1. We don't care about those but for the reciprocal depression Other things that really suggest a STEMI if we have ST elevation and we see it more in lead three than we do in lead two then we can consider that a potential for an, a STEMI as well. Okay? So if you've got ST depression in both lead 2 and 3, lead is, 3 has more ST elevation than lead 2. That even makes increases the likelihood of a STEMI. That horizontal or convex upward ST segment morphology, again, those are things we don't typically see in, the, in other conditions that are not um, concerning. So that jumps straight off, horizontal. That one may be a little bit more horizontal. If you've got one that comes straight off, those are concerning, the checkmark sign, well, right here, and then uh, Q waves that you know are new. So somebody, you've got an old EKG, you've never seen, they don't have Q waves on them, you're seeing Q waves, you're seeing ST changes, it's possible that that's an acute finding, okay? So these things all kind of help you point to a STEMI. Questions about that? So uh, the Q-wave, if you remember, is what we call that initial downward deflection that happens in the QRS complex, okay? If, it, if, you have the, first down, if the first deflection is downward, we call it a Q-wave, and it can be a normal finding. It can be that intraventricular septum depolarizing, and we'll, we can see that in some leads. Now, there are times in which the Q-wave is not a good thing, and it indicates some myo, uh, myocardial damage. I will try to draw this out and make it make sense. I don't have an eraser today. my third grade heart here. It's even that good. Okay. S A node, AB node, little branch plot. Okay. So what lead do we want to do? Let's do lead two. Yeah, we do lead two. All right. So we've got a patient who in lead two. Although sometimes you can have, it has a normal complex that looks like that. Okay, so initially we know the wave of depolarization is kind of is going down and to the left, right? We should be going towards lead two, and we get a positive deflection as we initially go down in that direction. Now, if this part of the myocardium is dead, the patient's had an inferior MI, and this is no longer. Um, got electrical activity happening into it. What's going to happen to the to the axis and to the electrical activity? It's going to shift over to this side, right? Because it's not going that way. So it's going, or it's so it's going in some ways opposite of the area where the infarction was at. So instead of a positive deflection, now we get a negative deflection or a Q wave, and that's how we we can see that somebody's potentially had a, a myocardial infarction there. So if there's dead tissue. The energy is not going to go that direction. It's going to go the opposite direction. And if it goes the opposite direction, then we we develop a Q wave, right? Make sense? Maybe? Okay. It is early in the morning. Get your coffee Okay. All right, so uh, electrical voltage produced by this portion disappear. Essentially, there's no electrical activity happening over there, so the electrical activity is going in the opposite direction. So we develop a Q wave just like down here. Lead two, three, and AVF show Q waves, so somebody has had it, an inferior MI at some point. All right. So localizing the MIs. Now there is um, varying um, ways to describe this. You look at different texts; they may describe it a little bit differently than than some people do. So this is not perfect, but this is just a general idea of things. Okay. So. Um, When we talk about an anterior infarction, we're basically talking about anything from V1 to V6 because those leads are on the anterior or the front of the chest. We consider those anterior. But you can specify them a little bit more specifically with anterior septal, strictly anterior, and anterior lateral or apical. Okay, So we'll break that down. Again, there's some folks that will, there's some variance on this. Um, We talk about an anterior MI, again those those leads typically in the chest, V1 to V4 strictly anterior. We're, we're generally talking about an occlusion in the LAD. Now those are bad, because it's the widow maker for some of y'all, okay? Uh, and they had the worst prognosis of, of, of the infarct locations, okay? And these patients, if you look at it here, in hospital mortality, uh, highest of in hospital mot- mortality, what was the, what is the versus here? Oh, STEMI versus non-STEMI maybe? Maybe that's what that is. Okay. So 12% of the time, if they had a STEMI, an, an LED, a, in a blockage of the LED, these people died in the hospital. So 1 out of 10 don't get out. And that's, that's bad. Okay. So non-STEMI, they had a 3% chance. Total mortality, 27%. Heart failure, 41%. Uh, ventricular ectopy, this is why these folks are in the unit and we're watching them on the monitor, because 70% of them have significant ventricular ectopy, maybe runs a VTAC, VFib. And lower ejection fraction on, em, on admission. You remember what ejection fraction is? Right? The amount of blood, volume being pumped out of the left ventricle each time it contracts, normally around 60%. Okay. If it doesn't pump well, fluid backs up, you get what's called congestive heart failure. So, so they're at risk for heart failure and ventricular arrhythmias, anterior MIs are bad. We've talked about R-wave progression in the past, how when we look at the precordial leads, V1 through V6, we should go from mainly negative to mainly positive. So by V3, V4, we have a, an R wave that's a, a bit larger than the S wave. When we have an anterior MI, then it's going to mess up that loss of R wave, we're going to have a loss of R wave progression, and we're going to see that either delayed, um, because of it, and the result is because of those pathologic Q waves. Now if we've got no energy going that direction, it's, and it's going to go the other way, you now we develop a Q wave. And so instead of um, going from, you know, uh, mainly negative to positive, it's going to remain negative longer than it should have because there's been an MI there. You have Q waves. Okay, we'll show you the picture of that here. All right. So normal R wave progression up here at the top. V1 mainly negative to where we transition around V3, V4. And then positive at V6. So this person who's had an anterior MI, you can see that they continue to have... Uh, a, lap, a poor R wave progression. It's not until V five that they, they end up having a transition zone, and that's because these Q waves over here uh, remain from an, a previous anterior MI. Okay. So see, we see poor R wave progression. there's it, a possibility that it's a myocardial infarction. I mean, other possibilities is that the EKG tech put the leads on in the wrong place or. You know, look for other things like a, a left bundle branch block that, that, that may cause that. But poor wave progression can be a sign of an anterior MI. Okay. So we're talking about a strictly anterior MI. We're talking about um, really v, V3 and V4 V1 and V2 are considered anterior septal, uh, strictly anterior. V3 and V4, anterior lateral. V5 and V6. Okay, and again, there's some variance depending on who you read and what you're looking at as to what that is. So this is not hard and fast, but just a general idea for you. Okay, um, and so if we see if we see those changes in V3, V4, you may want to make it call it a strictly anterior MI. Uh, anterior lateral. If we see those. Uh, Changes in V5 and V6, one in in AVL, it's possible it's a left circumflex occlusion. It could also be an occlusion of the LAD or branch of the RCA. Um, So we call those lateral infarctions. I just want to mainly familiarize with the terminology and the, the main vessels. So when we think lateral MI, oftentimes we think the circumflex, so V5 and V6, one in AVL. And a high lateral just basically means that the changes are on, on those uh, limb leads, one and AVL over here. So the reciprocal depression, if we've got, um, so say we've got an anterior MI, okay, so we've got our ST elevation over here in the anterior leads. Our reciprocal depression would be over here in the inferior leads. The same thing is true with the lateral, we're going to see the, the, the reciprocal depression in the inferior leads. Now, if we've got an inferior MI, typically we're going to see the ST, um, I'm sorry, the ST depression over here in our anterior precordial leads, okay? So it's usually that flip-flop between the two sides uh, as to where you'll see the reciprocal um, changes. Again, n- none of these classifications we just went, you know, went over absolute, they're general ideas. The, these um, infarcts can overlap. You can see different patterns of the way things will, will go. Um, and so if there's any doubt in what you're going to call it, if you're, if you're calling the cardiologist to tell somebody you got a STEMI, okay, you can just say, I've got, you know, two millimeters of ST elevation, in V3, V4, V5, or whatever. Describe it with the leads that you're seeing those, those changes in, and that will be absolutely fine. So don't get too hung up on the names. It's just to kind of get you familiar with that, okay? All right. All right, anybody see anything wrong with this EKG? (laughs) Good, I like the response of, whoa. Um, Okay, if you ever see this, this is bad, really bad. We call it tombstoning, because it looks like a tombstone, and that's where they're headed, okay? Um, It it is a widespread ST elevation. It's got that big, bad, ugly, uh, frowny face um, ST morphology, and it's widespread, and you've got your reciprocal ST depression over here in your inferior leads with ST elevation throughout all of your precordial leads and your, your high lateral leads over here. So, um, these patients don't do very well. So if you hear somebody say, he's tombstoning, that's what they're talking about. So how quickly would you give him the <laughs> As Soon as the cardiologist can push them down there, I suppose, yeah. I'd have a crash cart sitting right by the room and probably attached to them. Um, and ready to go. All right, inferior MIs, about 40 to 50% of MIs are inferior. It means it leads to three in AVF, potentially the right coronary artery. The bad thing about those, even though they're generally more favorable than the anterior and mortality rates are lower, the thing you have to think about is what's called a right ventricular infarction. If the right ventricle has an infarction, um, what can happen is that these patients When you think of the typical things to treat an MI, have you guys talked about Mona? Okay, morphine, oxygen, nitroglycerin, and aspirin. So when you give nitrates, you're decreasing the preload to the heart. And when you decrease the preload to the heart in a right ventricular infarction, you can cause them to have severe hypotension and decompromise, okay? So you have to be very cautious about using nitroglycerin in those situations if they've got a potential for a right ventricular infarction. And what we do in those situations actually is to give them fluid volume and try to pump up that preload so that they don't decompensate. Um, also, because the, the right coronary artery over the, um, uh, gives blood supply to your SA node, you can have some uh, bradycardia and second to third degree AV blocks, so you may start seeing arrhythmias um, due to the MI and because uh, um, of the loss of blood supply to your conduction system. Um, So inferior MI also can be associated with a posterior infarction, which we'll talk about the changes for that in just a minute. So inferior and posterior often go together. So how to recognize an inferior MI? Uh, You look at the inferior leads. ST elevation leads 2, 3, AVF, or progressive development of of the Q wave in those leads. And then ST depression in AVL, plus or minus lead 1. So again, you're you're kind of looking... um, your high lateral leads uh, for your your um, for your reciprocal changes, although you can see them in your anterior precordial leads as well. Um, you're just looking for S- that that reciprocal um, change. So it's kind of laid out funny. So okay, so two three AVF ST elevation. It's showing reciprocal depression. B two three. In there, okay. Okay, old inferior mind. Gotcha. So there's Q-waves here, here, and here showing the old, old change. Okay. Again, inferior MI, 80% of the time, it's the right coronary artery, although the circumflex uh, is another possibility um, in the wraparound with the LED. In other words, I just mainly think about right coronary artery, I don't need you to know all these little details. No, the right coronary artery, most of the time. Potentially the circumflex, I think you'll be in good shape. Okay. So here's your inferior MI, right? You got ST elevation and 2,3 AVF, and we've got ST depression and AVL. And that's really it, I guess. Okay. Obvious ST elevation here are ST depression and AVL.